Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Tim Shorey, one of the pastors of Risen Hope Church. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Uh, if you are a guest, uh, we are grateful you are here as part of this experience of worship together. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you've already been blessed and affected uh, by the Spirit of God in our time of singing uh, together. If, if you are a guest, uh, please make sure to contact us online at risenhopechurch.org. Let us know of your visit uh, with us. Let us know if there's any way that we can serve you. That would be our, our joy to do. We come, we come now to that part of our worship that is traditionally called the tithe and offering, or tithes and offering. Uh, for us as a church, for the members of Risen Hope, uh, giving and offerings are not necessary evils, but indeed happy opportunities. We enjoy giving. We enjoy giving to the Lord's work because we know that it honors Him, we know it praises Him, and we know that he has a way of multiplying the seed that we sow in many people's lives. And so we are thankful for the, the privilege of giving and thankful for your generosity. Uh, you can join us in worshiping God uh, through our tithes and offerings, either by uh, going to our website, risenhopechurch.org, click on Giving, uh, or by sending your gift to our office at the address on our site. I uh, have just a couple of announcements that we want to make here this afternoon. Uh, our community groups are being opened up just a little bit in light of some of the loosening of uh, guidelines in recent days. So there are certain ways in which the groups can begin to inch toward each other in actual physical uh, presence. Uh, in doing that, we're still exercising great care. Your community group leaders have been given some guidelines based on uh, current information, what seems best at the moment, and they'll be filling you in on that. And we know that as we try to transition at this stage, uh, hopefully in the latter stages of this a pandemic, we know that there will be different perspectives on, on what wisdom and what faith look like at a time like this. So we want to make sure that you feel no pressure whatsoever in terms of participating in the groups. Uh, and because people do have differing perspectives, differing opinions, uh, we do want to remind all of you and all of us to be very careful in how we handle these opinions and these perspectives. The, the scriptures are clear that on absolute things we should be firm and, in a sense, inflexible. But when it comes to opinions, when it comes to uh, perspectives and perceptions, the scriptures are clear that we shouldn't argue with each other over these things or beat each other up over these things or judge each other harshly over these things. So when thinking about this pandemic, what we actually know is very unclear and arguable and what we fear, whether it's the virus's infection or the government's overreach, that is all disputable. We have Risen Hope folks uh, who believe that staying virtual and not getting together uh, seems like a no-brainer, the only sensible thing to do. Others uh, are more inclined to think that getting together is the wise and the necessary thing to do. Let us walk with grace. Let us walk in humility during these days and uh, consider one another more important than ourselves, holding our opinions loosely and humbly and walking according to our own conscience without judging anyone else at all. So look forward to hearing from your community group leader, uh, those that are so inclined, and uh, may the Lord bless our fellowship in whatever context and place it happens. 
There will also be a Zoom prayer meeting this Friday at 7.30. Uh, make sure uh, to join with us in that sweet time of fellowship. I've thought more than once as we've joined for that hour of the old hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And it is indeed a sweet hour of prayer together. And then just one more uh, announcement. We wanted to keep you posted on the uh, developments, or really lack thereof, regarding the building in uh, Prospect Park. Uh, we want you to know that we have pushed a pause button on that uh, idea for at least six months. Uh, we simply don't believe it is the right time to pursue a decision of that magnitude with all of the current issues and challenges uh, that we as a church and as a society are facing. Um, we are still in the lingering effects of COVID and quarantine and the aftermath of those things, the, the tragic issues and unrest of our time. Uh, it just seems to us as elders not to be the right time to pursue this decision. So uh, we believe that God will lead us into a clear understanding of his will for our future. Uh, so let's just keep praying. Keep praying together uh, for a morning service time. Keep praying together for a permanent church home. Keep praying together for the Lord to continue to establish his work among us and to lead us and guide us, whether Prospect Park or wherever. Uh, God will be with us. So let's keep praying for him to lead. And indeed, let's go to prayer right now, bowing our hearts uh, before the living God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises, your assurances that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who is our Heavenly Father, that you are the one who is on the throne, that you are the one who has loved us from before time began. You are the one uh, who has redeemed us with precious blood. You are the one who has chosen us to make us your own. Lord, knowing all of these things, we know that whatever comes our way, whatever our circumstances, our God is with us and our God is is for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the spirit of unity and grace. Thank you for how you have knit our hearts together, even in challenging times like this. Thank you for your steadfast work of binding us together, giving to us a bond of peace. Lord, May it be, Spirit of God, may it be that that bond of peace will strengthen, will keep us, keep us secure in our love for you and keep us secure in our love for each other. Father, would you please be with us as, as we continue in this time of uncertainty with regard to the pandemic, just not sure what's next, not sure what is safe, not sure where this is going. Would you please watch over us and protect us and shield us from all harm? And Father, would you please, would you please provide for your church here? Uh, we, we ask you, Lord, to go before us and to, uh, to deliver us into a place that we can call home in a permanent kind of way, or at least a permanent on earth kind of way. Lord, would you please provide? Would you please provide us with a Sunday morning time for worship? Will you please provide us a context where mission, uh, engagement, and community outreach can happen in consistent and meaningful ways. Lord, this is your church, and Lord Jesus, you have promised to build your church. And we know it's not the building, it's your people. Uh, but Lord, to do the work of your church, uh, we do ask that you provide us a place. Uh, Father, we are confident in you. We know every need will be supplied. And as 
A dear brother reminded us a couple of months ago, if we don't have it now, it's because we don't need it now. You are the one who provides all our needs according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So, Lord God, we look to you. Our hands are open. Our hearts are open. We're trusting you for all things. And now, help us as we open your word. Speak to us. May your spirit have free access to our minds and to our hearts to change us and transform us and teach us and conform us to your holy will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we turn our thoughts and attention to the Word of God, our message this this afternoon is going to be a little different than normal. Normally we go to one text and we settle in there and dig in there and find... Uh, the gems and the truth that is, are in that text uh, today. We are going to approach things a little bit differently. There are actually going to be numerous texts of Scripture that we refer to and quote uh, and learn from this, this afternoon. One text uh, with which we will begin is found in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Isaiah 1, verses 16 and 17, where the ancient prophet, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, speaks to the people of God, and he writes, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. There are other texts of Scripture that say similar things to us. There's Micah 6 and verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Or there is the text that we studied in our series on Matthew to which we will return next Sunday, Matthew 23 and verse 23, where our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ teaches us that the weightier matters of the law of God are justice and mercy and truth. Or there is Amos 5 and verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Time and again in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, nearly from cover to cover, there is a call to justice. There is a call to active engagement in the lives of others for the purpose of justice, for the purpose of mercy, for the purpose of love. And so today, in light of so much that's happening all around us, uh, we thought it good for us to pause and to look together at a biblical doctrine of justice. And uh, our hope, my hope, is in these next few minutes that God will show us some things that will help us. And before I go any further, I want to thank God for all of you who are members of Risen Hope Church for your commitment uh, to unity and to love. Just last evening, we had another of our grace and race meetings, and and this time, this meeting in the context of ongoing societal unrest, and we were able for 90 minutes to interact with grace and respect and a humble eagerness to listen and learn and love in a season like this. That is a evidence of the amazing grace of God. 
And, and I want to make sure that you know that we as your pastors thank God for you and thank God for His unifying grace in our lives and for the unifying power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God for you and, and we hope that this message will build on the foundations that have been laid. And so, uh, let us proceed into our message, and, and I might uh, suggest that you uh, sit back and uh, relax a little bit. This may take a little time. Uh, that's, that's code for this might take a little longer than normal. Uh, uh, but it is, we think, important to do. If, if, in fact, we are going to heed the Scripture's call and the Scripture's command to do justice, then it seems to us that it would be good in this moment to come to clearly define some of the key elements of biblical justice, or at least try to do that as best as we can to make sure that we are being faithful to Scripture as we ought. Our, our current crisis is too urgent, it is too perilous for us just to do a quick flyby on this. We need definition, we need clarity, we need humility, we need conviction, we need courage, we need a just and a holy love to guide us and govern us in this moment. Now, I should say that I am still learning. We are still learning from Scripture, and we are still testing those things that we think we know by Scripture. And I should say that if in any way I am proven wrong by Scripture, I pray for the humility to own it and to change, which is a posture that we all ought to have. Let me, let me begin with a couple of thoughts on my choice of the term uh, and the title for this message, Biblical Justice. I've chosen this because the other phrase that's being used nowadays, social justice, is so broad of a term and often includes certain ideologies and agendas that, that we can't fully endorse with a clear conscience, so much so that the term social justice creates a whole lot of confusion, and even division uh, among Christians. Those of you who have read my book know that there's a chapter in which uh, that's called Understand What You Hear. And I think that this is something that Christians are definitely not doing as they're listening to each other these days. I'm convinced that there are too many differing definitions of social justice for any of us to really understand what the other is saying. And so I personally prefer the term biblical justice. Now, when I use that term and add to it biblical, I don't mean, and please hear this, I don't mean to imply some kind of spiritual elitist attitude that says, my view is more biblical. I am more biblical. That's not the reason for the term biblical. What I mean by that is that it is a view of justice that we aim to be consistent with the Bible, that it is a view of justice that we want to trace directly to the Scriptures. We want to make sure that our understanding of justice is derived from the Word of God. We're living in a time where people's views of justice are being shaped and affected by a thousand voices, and we want to make sure that the primary voice, the loudest voice, the strongest voice is the voice of God in His Word. In Psalm 1, we're told, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful. In other words, do not shape your thoughts by the counsel and ideas of the world. Rather, the psalmist says, let your delight be in the law of God day and night. Derive your understanding of life from God's Word. Romans 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world 
but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How is that done? By the inspired and unfailing Word of God. Friends, the, the issues of life in our time are too momentous, and uh, the values are too sacred, and the implications are too serious, and the people are too precious for us to be shopping at the dollar store for our values and for our views when the storehouse of God's sacred Word is open freely to us all. That's what we mean by biblical justice, a justice that we hope is shaped by the Bible itself. So what do we mean by biblical justice? My understanding of the term justice is pretty simple, actually. Justice is giving to all image bearers of God whatever is their due. Justice is giving to all image bearers of God whatever is their due. We could stop there, and that, I think, would be an adequate definition of justice. Justice is giving to all image bearers of God whatever is their due. But I've added a little bit, as biblically defined, that I have the power to give them or can advocate for them. Justice is giving to all image bearers of God whatever is their due, as biblically defined, that I have the power to give them or can advocate for them. Justice is not a specific conservative or liberal agenda or something that we should let the world define for us. No, justice is giving to all image bearers of God whatever is their do. I, I, I get that definition of justice from texts like Romans 12, verses 7 and 8. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Notice the, the language of obligation, of debt, whatever honor or love or respect is owed to another is due to them. Make sure to give it to them. Do not owe anyone a debt of love or respect that is their due. Justice is giving to all image bearers of God whatever is their due. Back when we studied Matthew 12, Jesus taught us that because people have value, they are to be treated with justice. Finally, God Himself, who is the source and the, the epitome of justice, shows us that justice is giving people what is their due in texts like 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. God in his justice will judge us all and give us what is due. That is just judgment, each receiving what is due. Biblical justice is giving to all image bearers of God whatever is their due. I want to unpack that a little bit for us this afternoon, uh, as much as time will allow, by offering a number of commitments that biblical justice will make in giving to others what is their due. This is by no means an exhaustive list. There is much more that could be said from Scripture. But let me move through these, and I hope they will help us to, to create something of a framework for our understanding of justice upon which we can build a life of 
justice together. So commitment number one, biblical justice respects the equal worth of every person. Biblical justice respects the equal worth of every person. Recently, in order to teach this in different contexts, I've, I've started to encourage people, if they really want to measure the worth and value of other people, I've encouraged them to check the label, check the price tag, and check the boarding pass. Check the label on each and every human being made by God and made in His image. Check the price tag, redeemed with precious blood as of the blood of Christ. Check the boarding pass and the final destination. They are headed for eternal, immortal glory. If you, if you really want to understand the value of human beings, the, the worth of human beings, check their label, check the price tag, check the boarding pass and final destination, and it will leave you with a profound, powerful sense of the extraordinary value, of the extraordinary worth of every human being. And it will leave you with a commitment to treat each and every person as being a person of equal worth, whether black or white or brown or blue or born or unborn, no matter how we may be provoked or wronged or slandered or afraid, this is an image bearer of God. And if I am going to do justice, then I must think carefully and almost reverently whenever I interact with another human being. And if I in any way disrespect or disregard that human being, then I am not just. I am not giving to every image bearer that which is their due. Biblical justice respects the equal worth of every person. Secondly, biblical justice is not prejudicial toward anyone, no matter their color or culture or condition or class or cause. God is not prejudicial against us. He does not prejudge us. He does not suspect us of the worst treats us with grace. I was reminded this week as I was preparing this of about three years ago in one of our grace and race conversations, I shared some confessions, confessions in my own heart and life with regard to racism and racial prejudice and assumptions and stereotypes. And I, re, I remember asking forgiveness from those who were present and how sweet was the forgiveness that was given. Truth be told, if we would all be honest, we are all tempted to prejudice and pride. But a truly just child of God will learn that it is not just. It is not giving to an image bearer what is his or her due when we prejudge anyone. And that is true no matter who that other one may be. Number three, biblical justice plays no favorites. It plays no favorites. The Scriptures forbid us time and again to show partiality to anyone. We are not to show partiality personally. We are not to uh, support and, and endorse systems that show partiality judicially or in other ways. We are not to show partiality to the rich, nor to the poor, not to the white, not to the black, not to the unborn, not to the born. Justice doesn't choose one cause to the denial or downplaying of others. A truly just person is concerned about justice for all, without partiality. 
It has a consistent justice ethic. I was, I was struck again this week as I was uh, doing some review study of a text in uh, Exodus 23, verses 6 through 8, where we read, You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked, and you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. We, are not, we, are read, we read here, we are not to pervert justice due to the poor, but then just a few verses before then, in verses 1 and 2, we read this, you shall not spread a false report, you shall not join hands with a wicked man, to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many who do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. We are not to be pervert justice against the poor. We are not to be partial to or for the poor. In other words, we are to be consistently at all times with everyone, no matter what the circumstances, for what is just, what is impartial. Biblical justice does not show partiality. Biblical justice, number four, calls attention to injustice. Biblical justice calls attention to Injustice. Listen to Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Open your mouth. This, I believe, is the constant continuing need of every hour, that just injustice be seen, that it be noticed, and that it be called out. Justice calls attention to injustice, and that means that we must learn and we must know, we must understand, we must empathize, we We must lament. We must enter into people who are experiencing injustice in any form. I I was reminded of Hebrews 13 and verse 3. Remember those in prison. Remember those in prison as though in prison with them. Remember those in prison as though as if you were in prison with them. In other words, so identify with, so empathize with, so feel the imprisonment in that context, the the wrongful imprisonment of others, that you feel it as if you yourself are being imprisoned. Enter into it. Oh, that we would be done with the words they and them, and that instead of that it can become we and us so that every tear is shared, so that every injustice is felt by us all as the body of Christ, that those who are imprisoned, wrongly treated, they, we might feel with them the pain. We might call attention to that, that, we, that people might hear us say, that is wrong. Open your mouth, open your heart, and then your mouth. Biblical justice calls attention, not in the abstract, not in a detached way. Biblical justice calls attention, let us say, with tears. Let us say, with a sensitive, caring, empathetic heart. Biblical justice calls attention to injustice that it might be corrected. Fifth, biblical justice does as well as declares. It does as well as declares. We are to do justice. I've been struck by the text in Scripture on justice. For example, Psalm 82 
verses 2 through 4. Psalm 82, verses 2 through 4. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is an active justice. A justice that does. It doesn't just declare injustice. It does justice. We see the same play out in the book of James where we're told to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. James goes on, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And then James proceeds to describe what we are to do. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That is what justice does. That is what true religion does. So as a church, as individuals, we are to be doers of justice. We need to understand that the term justice in Scripture refers not just to laws and courts, but it refers to loving your neighbor and meeting the needs of the oppressed or the widow or the fatherless or the destitute. In a very real sense in Scripture, generosity and kindness is a justice issue. It is giving to image bearers of God what is their due. As individuals and as a church, we need to seek the Lord's will As we move forward together, we need to seek the Lord's will for how this will become a consistent dimension of our life together. Will we adopt a school? Will we adopt a nursing home? Will we develop ministries that target those who are most in need? And will we seek to provide not just relief, but to build lives through the power of the gospel, doing justice? will require that our hands get dirty. It will require that we get up close and personal with people in a way that actually builds grace into their lives. Biblical justice doesn't just declare, it does. Number five or six, biblical justice makes amends for personal, actual, and deliberate guilt. The story of Zacchaeus fits for us. When that thieving and scheming man got saved, when when Jesus stepped into his life and gave him a new heart, Salvation entered his heart and his house. Zacchaeus' response was, Behold, Lord, the, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Here on a personal level, Zacchaeus realizes that justice including, included making amends for his sins and his defrauding of others at a personal level. We ought to be, if we are just, we ought to be concerned about those that we have offended, those that we have sinned against, those that in any way we may have defrauded and, and seek to make things right. I'm not getting into the big questions that many are asking these days about reparations and all the rest. That's a different category and a complex one. I'm just saying that you and I need to have a personal sense of justice, that when we have wronged others, we do whatever we can to make it right. Biblical justice next does not circumvent 
due process. It honors due process, even when it's imperfect. Uh, the sad thing of our culture and society and world is that the, the absence of due process and the twisting of due process has created so many of our national and global grievous sorrows and sins. It's the absence of due process that leads to lynchings and Ahmed Arbery and mob scenes. It is what has led to countless false guilty verdicts. It's what's behind countless injustices and insults and assumptions and suspicions, some committed by police officers, some committed against police officers. George Floyd did not get due process. Neither did all the residents and business owners in various cities and towns across our nation who suffered violence and looting in recent time. How many innocent people were punished just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. We don't have time to unpack what due process is biblically, but we need to realize that justice will seek to honor it in all directions or else injustice will abound. Biblical justice believes in punishment. I'm, I'm including in this message some things that there is no internal desire to include, but I, I feel in our time and in our circumstances is needed. Biblical justice believes in punishment both for those who are guilty of crimes and for those who falsely accuse of crimes. Many of you would know, most of you would know, that the, the Bible's pretty clear that in Romans 13, uh, for example, that government is given the power of punishing those who are wrongdoers. But I wonder how many of us know that in Scripture there is also a punishment for those who falsely accuse. We, we find it in Deuteronomy 19. And in fact, if you take the time to read verses 15 and through 20, which we won't do now, but if you take the time, you realize that if, if somebody bears false witness against someone to accuse them of a crime, and it is discovered that it's false witness, the false witness is to be punished as severely as the man who was accused. Many of us have seen the movie Just Mercy. And in that movie, Brian Stevenson defends the cause of those who are falsely accused and on death row. And we see in the movie and in the book that various officials knowingly falsified evidence and manipulated witnesses to bring about convictions of innocent people wrongly accused. If we apply biblical justice to that, those various officials should be punished in the way that the man accused was punished. In the sight of God, true justice is such that those who commit serious crimes should be punished and those who falsely accuse of serious crimes should be punished. And yet we're living in a time where injustice prevails everywhere. What are we to do? What are we to do? I've just rushed through these and not sure how well I've done in doing that, but I've rushed through these and just kind of laid these out for you and and I know that as we hear it, as we hear the standard of God's Word and God's truth and, and His system of justice and what ought to be, 
it can be very discouraging. It can be very disheartening because what ought to be and what is are so very far apart. And very, very often biblical justice is delayed or denied in this world. What do we do? Well, let me, let me give you my final point. Biblical justice patiently resolves. It patiently resolves to trust God to remedy justice either delayed or denied. Biblical justice patiently resolves rather than to seek it on its own or to avenge self. Biblical justice patiently resolves to trust God, that God will remedy justice delayed or denied. I'm hesitant to to mention this because I don't want anyone to misunderstand it. I don't want anyone to think that this means that people should be passive in the face of injustice. No, no. But it does teach us, the Scriptures do teach us that in this world and in this life, there will be times when justice is delayed or even denied. And in fact, we all, if we were all in the same room and had time to just sit around and talk for the next three or four hours, we all could describe circumstances in our lives, injustices in our lives that have, have not been made right. We have, have we not all suffered injustice, some racial injustice, some legal injustice, some marital injustice, church injustice, some have been unjustly treated, unjustly slandered, unjustly abused, unjustly maligned, unjustly misunderstood, unjustly caricatured, unjustly stereotyped, unjustly neglected. Some of us live with the knowledge that others have an unjust interpretation of us or our actions. Some of us have lived with unjustly damaged reputations. It goes on and on. And while we have a right to seek justice and do justice and defend those who are unjustly treated and seek for reform and improvement in all of these things, still at the end of the day, there will not be full closure and justice in this life. And we, we need to know, we need to know that God, the judge of the earth, will do right. We need to know that our God is just. And at the, the end of it all, He will give to each what is His or her due. He will make all things right. So, beloved, in the words of Romans 12, never avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here is, here is an enormously challenging, a massively difficult command to keep. But vengeance belongs to God. Don't avenge yourself, but trust God. He will make it right. Let us stand for justice. Let us speak for justice. Let us work for justice. But then let us make sure that we realize that God is the one who is going to fix it all. God is the one who is going to give just satisfaction to us all. But how hard it is to wait sometimes. How hard it is to wait. Even believers in heaven, we read in Revelation 6, even believers in heaven are crying out to God, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long until you avenge our blood? Oh, Lord, we wait on you. We wait on you. We look to you. We trust you. We need you. 
Lord, we, we don't want our hearts to be embittered. We don't want our hearts to run cold. We don't want hatred or resentment or bitterness within. Give us, Lord, the grace to stand and speak for what is just and right, but then the grace to look to you and to wait upon you for your day, for your day, for your day, O Lord. Just before I left the house to come here this afternoon, Isaiah 40 came to mind. These words, and with these I close. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these stars. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Why why do you think, why do you say that justice is not going to be done, that God is ignoring me. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. That's for you, brothers and sisters. That's for, for me. It's for us. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the promise of our God as we wait and wait and wait some more. This is the promise of our God, that He will renew our strength, give us wings to soar like eagles. And we will run. We will run and never be weary. We will walk and not faint because our just and holy and sovereign and good and kind God will hold on to us and keep us going for his glory and for our joy. And so, yes, let justice roll down like water. Um, may justice flow into our hearts and lives and actions and attitudes in all directions to his glory. And indeed, Lord Jesus, come and make everything right. Let's pray. Please, Heavenly Father, come with grace, hope, peace, strength to every weary heart that has joined with us here this afternoon. Come and renew with strength and give wings to soar. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.